Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to another episode of So I Married a Horror Fan. I am your singular co-host, uh, singular co-host, singular host of this episode. I am Simon. Uh, welcome once again to the podcast. Uh, today is uh, another new release episode, which is part of the reason why Lee's not with me, uh, as we continue the other half of our double Mia Goth March Madness. Uh, as you remember, I covered Pearl... Uh, just over a week ago, if you listen to the episode in real time, I list, I recorded that episode on 17th of March when the film came out in the UK. And um, we are now here with the second part of the Mia Goth double bill as we are looking at Infinity Pool, uh, which is now showing in the UK. I know it's been out in America for a little while and other territories. <coughs> Excuse me. It's now finally made its way onto uh, the UK shores. Um, so just a, a heads up, uh, this is a spoiler filled episode. I know this episode will be going out a few days after it's been out. Um, and obviously a few months after it's been out in the rest of the world. So this will be a full spoiler, uh, episode, um, for the film Infinity Pool. So please be warned from this point out, I will be discussing spoilers. Um, and they they will be clearly labeled on the episode on, all of the streaming platforms and on social media as well. Um, so, Infinity Pool, uh, directed and written by Brandon Cronenberg, uh, starring Mia Goth as Gabby, starring James... Uh, no, not James. It is Alexander Skarsgård as James Foster and Cleopatra Coleman as James's wife, M. Foster. There are a few other characters that are kind of involved in the plot, so we do have uh, Dunja Sepsik as Anna, Adam Bonks as Ketch, J.L. Lesbert as Alban, Zijat, Zijad Grasich as Drothresh, and then we also have um, Thomas Kretschmann, who uh, plays Thresh, who people may know from uh, Avengers Age of Ultron, and Amanda Brugel as Jennifer, Jeff Ricketts as Charles, John Ralston as Dr. Bob Moden, and Caroline Bolton as Bex, who are the uh, the peripheral characters that are part of uh, Mia Goss group, uh, resort group in this, in this film. So I guess I should probably start from the beginning. Uh, this is Brandon, Brandon Cronenberg's third feature. Um, it follows on from Possessor and Antiviral, Two films I haven't seen. I've had the uncut version of Possessor sitting on my shelf for about maybe two years now. Um, I bought it way, way, way back in the beginning of 2021 um, in hopes that I would get around to watching it because I heard a lot of stuff about it. But for whatever reason, <clears throat> I still haven't watched it. So... It's on Shudder, and I also have it on Blu-ray. I think Antiviral is still showing on Shudder as well. So, <clears throat> realistically, I do need to pull my finger out. So, from a work uh, film standpoint, um, I wasn't sure what to expect from Brandon Cronenberg. However, if I was em employing the whole kind of like family member comparison... I am a huge fan of his father. I'm a very big fan of David Cronenberg. Crash, particularly, is one of my favourite films. Um, and 
I thought Crimes of the Future was very, very good. Uh, checked that out recently uh, and thought it was a very interesting film. It's, inter it's, it's fascinating to me that Cronenberg is like 70 and is still like smashing out absolute bangers. Even though I wasn't a fan of Map, of the, Map to the Stars um, and I haven't seen Cosmopolis, I think Crimes of the Future was a fascinating film. I think it was very interesting. I think it had a lot of interesting things to say, as does a lot of David Cronenberg's work. Um, so I guess in a weird way, kind of like hearing the things that I'd heard about Possessor and Antiviral and reading the early reactions to uh, Infinity Port Sundance and obviously having this kind of um, fandom for his father, I was kind of piecing the, the parts together in my head of like, okay, so it seems like from a filmmaking standpoint, he treads a very similar road to what his father does, but he is very much his own uh own film own director he's he's doing his own thing but he touches upon a lot of the same thing themes as what his dad does so i was like okay this is going to be interesting and um you know i'm i'm someone who does kind of like weird stuff like i'm not i'm not a complete lunatic so there are obviously things that like i don't find interesting uh that other people uh on, say, shall we say, the more extreme end of things, but there are films that I do kind of enjoy, like I enjoy a lot of J-horror, K-horror. Um, I enjoy a lot of kind of films that are really out there. Um, a film that I always tell people to go and see is Dead Dead Girl, that came out in like 2009. Um, that's a movie that I watched once, and I was like, holy shit, that was different. But um, also, it's very grim. So kind of like the idea of like... Um, the extreme violence and things like that wasn't really off-putting to me. Um, I will happily sit and watch something that kind of goes a bit out there, um, especially if it has something to say. If it's gratuitous and it's not really got a lot to say, then maybe I'd be a bit more inclined to just go, okay, you're just doing shock and gore for the sake of it, and I have no interest in that sort of stuff. Um, but... In terms of like, if there's a good story behind it and the the violence and things like that are used in sort of a meaningful way to tell said story, then I can kind of get on board with stuff like that. Like, uh, you've probably, if you're a long-term listener of this podcast, you will probably have heard me talk about my love of Takashi Miike. Um, I think he is one of those directors who absolutely nails the story elements with the more shocking violence and brutality in his films. I think when you look at a film like Itchy the Killer or Gozu, or when you look at stuff like his episode of um, Master of Horror imprint, when you look at things like Dumplings, Fruit Bar, uh, not Fruit Basket, is it Fruit Basket? Anyway, um, and then when you, especially when you look at a film like Audition, which is kind of like quite a sparse film until it all kicks off, but the, the violence is a payoff to the story that has been told for the rest of the film. So I think hearing that this movie was quite shocking quite violent quite um you know there were people walking out and things like that i was like okay i'm i'm ready i'm ready to go down the rabbit hole and i watched one trailer i watched the the trailer that they released for it and then kind of just left it at that and then obviously tried to avoid spoilers as much as possible found out that the uk was getting the unedited version of this although the edited version and the unedited version are pretty much the same length. I think there's literally just like a couple of frames difference. So all the people that are like going for a coveted director's cut or like the unedited cut 
Um, there's not a lot to it from what I gather. Um, having seen the version that was released over here, which I believe is uncut, um, I would be fascinated to know exactly what was cut. But <clears throat> I mean, that's neither here nor there. So I kind of went into this film with a very open mind. Um, I am a little bit hit and miss when it comes to Alexander Skarsgård. I think there are times when he can be an incredible on-screen presence. And I do think that there are also times when he kind of feels like a bit like an animated potato. Um, this is one of his more understated performances to a degree. But I can't tell if that's just because he has a hard time wrapping his head around the material. Or if he just... I don't know. There's something about his performance in this movie where I'm just like, there are times when I'm watching it and I'm like, I'm bored. Like, um, and I feel like when someone is your central character in a film that is this weird, like, you don't ever want to be bored by that performance. Um, it doesn't help that he is going up against the woman of the moment and the absolute hurricane that is Mia Goth. Um... That woman is, Jesus, I don't know how to describe Mia Goth. <clears throat> this is only the third thing I've ever seen her in. Uh, fourth thing, so I saw Pearl X, and I've seen Lars von Trier's Nymphomaniac movies. Um, so this is kind of only like the fourth thing that I've seen her in. Um, every time she's on screen, I feel like the meme that's like, mark me down as scared and horny should just be like on screen constantly. She has this real, um, there's something very childlike to her in some of her performances. Not to say that she is childlike, but there is a way that she like portrays innocence and like a sweetness on screen that is kind of like, she feels, there are scenes in this particularly where she feels kind of very motherly, but then she also feels like an absolute maniac who you wouldn't ever want to cross like on your worst day. You're just like, nah, I'm good. I don't want anything to do with this woman. Um, and I think for a role like this, somebody that an actor or actress that can switch like that is very interesting and it keeps the audience very much um, at arm's length, but also kind of like guessing the whole time of like, cause you never know what she's going to do. So you're always kind of a bit on edge whenever she's on screen. Which is kind of interesting because, you know, that's the sign of a good actor or good actress that they can kind of like convey those different emotions like almost in the same scene sometimes. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> basically, for those of you that don't know, the story of Infinity Pool revolves around Alexander Skarsgård's character and Claire Coleman's character. They are a married couple who... Um, go to a resort uh, we're never told where the resort is or what it is it's on an unidentified country um, and it's basically like a playground for the rich and famous it's walled off like it's very um, stylish it's very like you know for the wealthy um, and it's causing a lot of like commotion in this poor country because you know, there are people on the outside that can't get in, that are starving, that are like the lower ends of what society deems them to be. 
Um, he is what is referred to as a failed writer. He wrote one novel about six years ago that nobody read and he's been languishing ever since. He has married into wealth and he is basically supported by his wife, M, who is played by Cleopatra Coleman, who kind of, <clears throat> I don't want to say domineers him, but she definitely doesn't support him in the way that, like, you would expect a wife to. She will take, like, opportunities to tell him that he's not very good or that, you know, he, he should be, like, doing more. Um, and they kind of have a fractious relationship. Um, and then, obviously, the rest of the characters we meet are, like, Gabby, Al Gabby, her husband Alden, and then you've got Dr. Molden, Bex, Anna, Jennifer, um, and then the other the other people that are in the in the group, who are all kind of like a party together, but you don't really find that out until later on in the film. So essentially, the film the film the film starts in a really trippy way. The film starts like <coughs> completely black, black screen with a voiceover from Cleopatra Coleman. She's kind of talking to uh, M. Even she's talking to James, trying to get him to wake up because what we don't realise is the room is black because the curtains are closed and, and it's morning time and she kind of mentions that he said some like weird stuff in his sleep that he doesn't really remember and it's like no I didn't and she's like yes you did and it's, it's kind of like starts on this like the, the audience is already on the back foot because you don't you don't know really like you're kind of a little bit disorientated you're a bit like what's happening like has he really said this like did he say that like what does this mean like and then the kind of the film starts off kind of a little bit like innocuously it's kind of like that they're having breakfast she talks about going over to an island like into the main town to go and like have Chinese food and he's like I don't really want to and then you see like someone protesting and it's at the time when the guy protests that he meets Gabby, who tells him that she enjoyed his book. Um, and then, you know, you kind of find out that, like, he he was like, oh, I didn't realise that you were a fan. And she kind of takes a liking to him. And then they kind of agree to meet up. And her, her and her husband take um, Em and James out for dinner. They party a little bit outside of the compound, which apparently you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to go outside of the compound. James drives drunk and then kills a man. And this is where the film kind of starts laying out the film that it's going to become, like, later on. And you find out, like, they get arrested. They get taken into this, this foreign prison. And they basically, you don't see like what happens with M, but you do see what happens with like James. So James is obviously the man who's responsible. So they kind of say to him like, we will execute you or we can execute like a double in your place. And basically um, he agrees that he will have a double executed in this place. So... The, the kind of like the next step of that is you see them creating this clone from him and then the clone is like tied to a stake and is stabbed by one of the men's children um, while an audience watches. So basically you get to watch kind of like your own clone die. 
Um, and it's kind of like it's it's a fascinating idea of like what what would you do to kind of escape like even if even if you broke the law accidentally not saying that he did because driving drunk is a fucking stupid thing to do but like if you didn't want to serve a life sentence and like what would you do and it kind of like raises the idea as well of like does the clone have your memories does it have your feelings like how much of it is a complete replica like is it just a blank slate yes we know it's a human being that has its own like thoughts and feelings but like does it have your thoughts and feelings like is it is it like a superficial version of you that is being killed or is it like a complete copy that like knows who it is knows where it is like all these kind of things because later on, when you see more clones being killed, like, they know each other's names and things like that and stuff. And you're kind of a bit like, okay, so how much how much of this person is a replica? Like, is it just a, is it just a shallow shell as a representation of you committed this crime, so you superficially are being killed? Or it's like, no, in every sense of the word, like, you will pay for the crime that you've committed. Like, it's never really explained... But it does. There is like a line of dialogue where they do mention like imperfections, like even the slightest imperfection is like not good enough for the letter of the law or the language of the law. So I would I would kind of assume that they put a lot of time and effort into creating the person exactly. But like how much that means, you know, are they able to replicate the soul, the memories, etc. Like that bit is never really explained. Um, and like as they're watching this, like M becomes horrified. Whereas James kind of ends the scene with like a smile on his face and you kind of you kind of get a sense that he liked watching himself die, but you're not really sure. It's kind of a, a, a look of like he's smiling because he's got away with it and like he's or is it a smile of like, you know, watching himself die is kind of like it, it's a it's a rebirth for him. You're never really sure because there's a piece of dialogue like later on in the film when he's introduced to the rest of Gabby's friends where the doctor is saying, like, I never really know. He's like, how do you know that you weren't replaced? Like, that that wasn't you that's died and you're the new clone that's sitting here sort of thing. He's like, I will never fully know whether I am who I am or not. And that's kind of, like, an interesting thing as well. That's, like, that look of his, on his face is, like, it's ambiguous enough of, like, is that the clone that's sitting in the chair and he's paying for the crime? Like, or vice versa, like, and the fact that that's never really addressed is kind of interesting. And then obviously later on with the piece of dialogue where they're like, you know, we have to kind of like talk about, you know, the idea of like never really knowing who you are, who you were, things like that. So it's kind of interesting, like the idea that you could have somebody cloned. It kind of reminds me a lot of like The Island, the Michael Bay movie, where people, where rich people essentially pay to have themselves cloned. And then the clones are basically organ harvested so they can live forever, essentially. Um, that's a very, like, Cliff Notes version of that film. And spoiler alert if you've never seen The Island. But it's essentially the same thing. And kind of, like, that's one of the things that this movie talks about. There are a lot of really great themes that this movie talks about. It talks about, like, transactional violence and, like, transactional murder. In kind of the same way that, like, you're not paying to have a clone and like you're not paying to murder someone but essentially like 
there's the idea of like it's a commodity like you can go out and commit a crime and like somebody will just pay for it for you so you kind of get that sense of like you're watching you're watching innocent people die for your you're watching like an innocent person die for like your actions and as you become more unhinged you can create more of these people to die for you and you can kind of like get things out of your system that you need to which kind of like in a weird way reminded me of hostel it kind of reminded me of that like rich people doing whatever they want and like murdering for this like you know things like that like that kind of transactional nature of like well it doesn't really matter like it's not me it's just a thing it, at what point do like the clones stop stop becoming real and start start becoming like commodities and like transactional things and like you know objects but it also talks about like the class system like the treatment of the poor the treatment of like the rich like the idea of like um repressed feelings the idea of like actions without consequences but there's also like a lot of stuff in there as well like about like um the male ego the male relationship with like women and like how especially in James's case like how his power as a man is like tied to like women and tied to like the women in his life like we see that like he has a very strained relationship with M because obviously she's the breadwinner in our relationship. She's the one with the money. He feels like a, a failure, but he obviously puts a lot of value in how she sees him and like the way that she treats him. But then there's also like a scene just before the car accident where he's pissing in a bush and like Mia Goff like gives him a hand job. And like, it's essentially saying from that point, like she owns him. And, like, it kind of leads onto this path of, like, her, like, her taking, like, ownership of him and, like, him putting, like, again, like, that sense of, like, him putting his value in, like, the way that she makes him feel and the things that she does for him and, like, how um, he wants her to perceive him and how, you know, she complimented him on his book. She, to him, he doesn't think that she sees him as a loser and that she, you know, he actually thinks that she likes him. And it's kind of like interesting. It's like, you don't really get to know James much as a character. So it's never really explored where this like sense of, uh, female domination in his life comes from. And like his need to be like validated by the females in his life. And like this sense of like, he gets kind of like, um, power and like vigor from women being better than him and having some sort of control over him and it's kind of interesting because like that sort of thing in a sense reminds me of like the characterization of julian in only god forgives which is um the nicholas wonder reffin movie and like julian's relationship with his mother and his girlfriend and everything in that film is kind of very similar. So it touches on a lot of different things. And it's it's also kind of like the idea of like the sense of self. Like, is there a sense of like a person underneath? Like, if we were allowed, if we were in a situation where we could break laws and we would face no repercussions and we could do the things that we wanted to do that we would never normally do. You know, is it a case of have those feelings always been there and you've just needed the outlet for them? Or are they feelings that 
you know, come to the surface when you make the realisation that you can do whatever you want and you're not ever going to be punished for them. So it's kind of like the movie deals with a lot of a lot of themes. There are a lot of things in this movie that it doesn't explore um, to a degree which I would have liked. This movie's two hours long and it feels like 90 minutes. It feels like... I don't know if it's because Brandon Cronenberg is trying to be purposely vague and he's trying not to give the audience audience all the answers or if he is deliberately trying to create a movie that is as vague and as superficial as the characters that are in it so that the movie ties to the characters and it all feels like one piece you know or if there's just half the fucking movie missing because as i say there are a lot of things that he introduces um that he doesn't necessarily follow through on um and a lot of it is sort of surface level stuff like you get the idea of like this is what this scene represents or this is what this interaction represents. But there's also some imagery in this that, you know, he doesn't, he just wants you to see and think about without really telling you, which to be fair, isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it just seems like for a film that's exploring so many different concepts and so many different ideas that maybe it's because I'm fucking stupid. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I didn't get it. So I wouldn't necessarily say that, like, he has made a bad film, but I would say, and I don't I don't necessarily think that you need to handhold the audience, I just think that there are some things in this that could have been explained a little bit better, like the idea of the clones, like the idea of, like, the world building that we're in, like... I just think that there's a little bit more that could have been explained about this world, like do you have, like, an unlimited number of clones? Like, is there, like, how how long before your luck runs out? Like, how long before the country actually says, like, enough is enough? Like, what was it that led to this law being brought into place? Like, was it something like, you know, is this is this a resort that's specifically for people to go and commit crimes in? Like, is it something like the Hunger Games or like the Purge where there's like, this is a place where people can go and get like violence out and we will like help you as best we can because it's good for like our tourist trade. It brings economy into this poor country. Like there's a lot of stuff like that that kind of like, I think if you over explain it, like it takes away the specialness of the film, but like a couple of like expositional bits of dialogue maybe would have helped to explain how this all came into practice and what the actual ramifications of this situation are um but it's a it's a fa- and it's a fascinating thing as well because clearly we are dealing with a corrupt government as well because <coughs> because like as we find out later on there's a scene where they like pay off an officer to like create another clone um of james even though he's not committed a crime like they actually expressly say like we paid off a guy to create another clone (coughs) so yeah there's a lot of these like a lot of these like questions um and like what happens if a clone escapes like what happens if like a clone escapes like if a clone was to escape and get off the island but the original person wasn't, would they be then held accountable for their own murder? Or would they just, like, you know, it's it's these kind of, like, things that maybe I'm just overthinking it. But, like, yeah, there's some really, really striking imagery in this movie. There's, like, a scene quite about 
about halfway through where they attack uh, one of the like police guards' houses and they're wearing the famous masks that you see like on the tra- in the trailer or you see if you've seen on the poster artwork the really fucked up like uh, messed up facial masks which is really cool it's a really cool image to see them like all wearing the masks especially like the way that the scene is lit um there is a really interesting like orgy sequence which is very like uh this is one of the scenes that a lot of people talked about but you don't really see a lot like it's very like dreamy it's kind of like a weird like lsd acid trip um and you kind of see like body parts moving in and out um but a lot of it is like a lot of different lighting there's like a, a sequence with like uh, breast milk coming out of a nipple which is kind of like again lends that credence to like the merch the nurturing like mothering type thing and this is kind of like one of the one of the really big things that I took away from this movie there's there's two two really interesting things that I want to talk about but I'll save them for like after I've talked about the main bulk of the movie so one of the things that I found interesting about this film is like Alexander Skarsgård's character James his descent into like Oh, so this woman like jerked me off and I killed a dude and I realised a clone could be killed. Now I'm like, yeah, man, I'm just going to go and cause crime. Like his switch from one to the other and then back again is kind of like all over the place. Like that's one of the more underdeveloped parts of the film for me. He seems to go along with like the plans of like what these people want very quickly and he seems to become embroiled in their world very quickly from becoming like a guy who can't really stand up to his wife to like a guy who's like, Oh yeah, man, I'm just going to go commit murder and be an orgies. And it's like, okay. And then, so he becomes very embroiled in their world very quickly. And you kind of get the sense that he likes seeing the clones of himself die until he is faced with one himself. And he is the one that is causing it harm. There is a tremendous scene in this movie where they basically explain to him that his passport has been taken by, like, there's a guy in the embassy for this country that is, like, holding up his passport so that he can't leave, basically. So they essentially kidnap him. And they've got him in the middle of this house. And they're, like, they're like basically they've got a hood over his head and they're saying to James, like, show him how powerful you are. And, like, James attacks him, like, beats him to a pulp, like, pisses on him, and then, like, pulls the hood off. And that's the point where, like, Gabby says to him, this is another clone. Like, this is the one that we paid for. Like, we just wanted to play a game with you. And it's the idea of, like, him trying to reconcile with, like, is this who I am? Like, does the clone on the floor represent, like, my old self? Am I shedding my skin? Like, can I... Can I kill the old me to become this new me? And he sort of freaks out. And that's the point where he's like, no, enough is enough. Like, I, you know, I've had enough. And then he obviously tries to like, he tries to get away from them. um, And they follow him and they like hijack the bus that he's on. And they like hunt him through the woods. And then he kind of like ends up in a like like a little wooden hut. And he has like a freak out because he sees one of the kids of the guy he murdered, but then, like, he pulls the mask off and it's, like, his wife underneath and he starts having, like, these weird flashbacks and then, yeah, it's a very strange sequence, but it's, like, it kind of all lends, leads to, like, the end of the film where 
they like follow him out into like this area and they've got like a dog version of him on a lead and they're trying to like they i think the the phrase that she uses is she basically says like she gabby says to him like we want to see who you are like we want to see what your larval brain will like do and she's like kill the dog kill the dog kill the dog and she's trying to get him to kill like the dog version of himself and then they like fight and he like kills the dog version of himself and like everybody's laughing and everybody's like clapping and stuff and then like he's got blood all over his hands and she like rubs the blood on her boob and like gets him to like suck it off of her nipple kind of like in a very motherly way like he's very like fragile like a a little boy and she's very like motherly in this scene and then obviously like the next scene is them all just getting on a bus together but they're all dressed like really normally they're all dressed like really quietly and they're all like oh yeah we're just gonna like go back and you know do like normal stuff and they kind of like leave him at the airport and then the final shot of the movie is him just sitting on a deck chair like in the rain at the resort and it's so weird because the movie the movie opens kind of like a dreamlike and it ends really ambiguously and it's like it's kind of like the ending I think I think is really good I like the ambiguous nature of like is he staying there is he staying on the resort because he's ashamed to go home and he's scared and like he can't face his wife and he can't face the things that he's done so he can just stay here and like make a new life for himself or is he staying because he has become that person like he has evolved or devolved into like the more extreme version of himself that just wants to be on this island and just you know live in a way that is completely uninhibited and completely untethered and become the person that he was meant to be free of the shackles of like marriage and expectation and just live this life of like you know is he going to be the person that like introduces a new person into this like life and you know I think there's that part of him that sees like how easy it is for the other people to switch off and just go back to like these normal lives. And he's like, you know, what was the point? You know, you kind of get the sense of like, what was the point of this? Like, what were they trying to accomplish? Because they tell him at one point, they're like, we don't, she, there's a scene where like, just before they like chase him through the woods where like Gabby's sat on the top of a car and they're like leading him down a road and she's shouting at him. She's like, I didn't read your book, but I heard it's shit. She's like, you're a failed writer. She's like, we just we were hoping to get you into trouble, but you kind of did it yourself by being stupid. And she just berates him and he kind of just takes it. And so you kind of get the sense of like at the end he's like, fine whichever way you look at it, I think he's finally free. He's either like, I'm not gonna go home because I I have experienced things that I'll never be able to like live a normal life again. And like at least here I can kind of have a quiet life and be who I want to be. Or as I say, it's become it's because he's become the most extreme version of himself. Like they've coaxed that version out of him that was lying underneath. And he's gonna just live there and just live this hedonistic, like completely unhinged life without any sort of fear of repercussions. So I do like the way that the movie ends. I think there's some really interesting themes in this movie. Like the theme of rebirth and motherhood comes up quite a lot. Like, you kind of get the sense that, you know, the minute she, the minute that Gabby puts her hand on his penis to, like, jerk him off while he's pissing, 
that like from that point on she is kind of trying to lead his rebirth into this new life and there's a lot of symbolism with like you know the actual way that the cloning is done like the actual birth of the clone like the sense of you know when they have the orgy scene like the breast milk coming out you know like she's basically like mothering him especially the scene where she's like got the blood on her boob and he's like sucking it off you get the sense that she is trying to like nurture him as he she sees him because she keeps she does call him a few times in this movie a baby she calls him a stupid baby and she's like where are you going you little baby and it's like you know is it is that kind of like a metaphor and like a for her being his mum and bringing him into this new world and like him being reborn as this other person and she's trying to like help him navigate this new like world that he's a part of so that kind of comes up quite a few times and like um it's kind of an interesting thing as well especially when you see her character as like you know no one's really sure like why she is the way she is or kind of like um whether she at, at first whether she does like him or what her intentions are but then obviously when when she switches and it becomes clear that she like sees him as like a plaything you're kind of a bit like okay i understand it a bit more now like i know like what what this means what you're trying to do and like again like we were saying like i was saying at the beginning of the episode about like the idea of like he to them you know they see him as a lesser person they see him as a plaything they see him as you know you can come to our party but you'll never be one of us sort of thing and you know it's again that kind of class thing of like you know we're better than you so we can treat you like this because what are you going to do about it sort of thing but i also did think when i was watching this movie i did kind of wonder I don't know if this theory is out there because I haven't read anything really about the movie. Um, but I'd be interested to know what other people think of like the theory of like his wife took him there and she left him there um, because she wanted rid of him. Like, I wonder if if she knew about the resort because it seems like she she picked the resort. And I wonder, like, because she leaves pretty quickly and he's like oh i've lost my passport and she's like i'm leaving i'm going home but they're like she doesn't fight him when he says that he's left the week like the room in her name for another week and i kind of part of me was like i wonder if she took him there to try and get rid of him to try and like um maybe have him killed off or maybe have something happen to him because, you know, you get, like, like there are little hints, like, we know that there's a corrupt government. We know that they can be paid off. We know that, like, her father is rich, but we don't really know who her father is. Like, we know that he doesn't necessarily have the best relationship with, like, his in-laws. And, like, his, like, M seems to go along with, like, them meeting these people very quickly. And, like, it seems a little bit too, of like, a little bit too easy for him to meet Gabby when he's not with M and like for Gabby to be like oh I know who you are and like she says like you know we tried to get you into trouble like you know and you know I wondered part of this if it was like a setup like if M had took him there because she was like he's a failure like 
I can take him to this place where, like, you know, he could potentially be murdered or he could be, like, you know, X, Y, and Z. And she's like, maybe maybe we kill him and swap him out with a clone. Like, and maybe she wanted to to do it that way, mate. Because you never see the conversation that she has with the police. And, like, I kind of wondered maybe if she had arranged for him to actually be killed and then to be him for for the for her husband to be swapped out with a clone. But then she got more than she bargained for. So there's all these kind of other questions as well. And I'd be interested to know if that's a thing that people also have felt or thought or, you know, what her intentions were in the nature of the story. Um, because she seems to get the fuck out of Dodge pretty quickly. Um, and she's pretty inconsequential to the story past that point. But then, like, he sees her later on as, like, in the face of the child of the man that he killed... So I'm like, that's got to mean something, surely, like, in the story. But, yeah, it's fascinating. Like, I I didn't think the film went as hard as what everybody said it did. Um, I was expecting it to be a lot more violent, a lot more sexual, a lot more, like, um, about the destruction of, like, self and the destruction of, like, the body and stuff. I, I was expecting it to be more, like, body horror related. But I do think that, like, there are some images in this movie that are quite shocking. I think that the story is really, really interesting. Like, I think it's it's a fascinating story. And, like, I do wonder, like, if we... I don't think it's a society that I will ever live in, but I do wonder if we will ever get to this point in, like, human history where these things will become real. Um, and that's kind of a terrifying thought. Um, I think the performances across the board are very good. Like, obviously, Mia Goth is great in this. And she is slow. She is very quickly becoming a woman that I do not want to be anywhere near. <laughs> um, I think um, Alexander Skarsgård is a little bit hit and miss in this. I think in certain scenes he's really, really good. I think there are other scenes when he feels checked out and where he feels like he's not giving the best performance. Um, but I don't know if that's just because the way he's playing the character and that's how it's supposed to be, or if he's just not a strong enough uh, actor for some of the material that he's being given. Um, Clear Cleopatra Coleman uh, comes in and out of this movie very quickly, um, so she doesn't really leave too much of an impression on the film. Um, but I think that the supporting cast are all very good. The people in um, Abby's party or gang or whatever you want to call them um, are very interesting, and I think that they are very well cast. Um, they are the kind of people that you wouldn't want to spend time with, but there's something about the things that they're doing that kind of make you go, okay, like this would be kind of interesting to spend the night with these people just to see what these these people get up to but at the same time you're just a bit like nah I'm good um so overall I think the the idea of Infinity Pool is very good I don't think the movie hits as hard as a lot of people said it did um and as maybe I was expecting it to but I do think that it was an enjoyable film and I do think that the movie has a lot to say maybe too much um and I think that there are a lot of ideas that it could have explored further. But then again, I don't know if the movie is supposed to be purposely vague and superficial to represent the story that it's trying to tell. Um, so I would be fascinated to kind of like hear other people's thoughts on that. But for me, it was a good movie. I think it's one of those movies that I think if I go back and rewatch it in a couple of years time, I'll probably get more out of it with, with like the weight of expectation died down. And like a good chance to like really lock in like to some of the ideas that the movie is trying to tell. I do I do wonder what kind of career Brandon Cronenberg is going to have going forward, um, because 
He seems to have hit pretty hard with his first three features, and I'll be interested to see where he goes from here in terms of like longevity and what other types of stories that he's looking to tell. Um, I think he's a he's a very unique filmmaker. Um, I think based on this film alone, I think some of the the shots in this movie are beautiful. Some of the way that he directs things with like lighting, like um, there's a lot of reds, a lot of pinks, a lot of blues in this. I think there's a lot of like interesting camera angles. Everything is designed to make you feel uncomfortable and to make you feel as disorientated as James is in the situation that he's in. And I think for the most part, it works. Like there are definitely moments in this movie where I was feeling very uneasy. And I think that like the the choices that he makes stylistically are very interesting. Um, for me, I think it's a movie that maybe some of it a little bit went over my head. But I think it swings for the fences in, in certain aspects. Doesn't always hit. But for me... I thought it was enjoyable and I think it's a movie that everybody should see at least once. So I'm going to give it a three three out of five. Um, it does come recommended from me. Um, yeah, so that's my thoughts on Infinity Pool. Have you guys seen Infinity Pool? If you have, join us in the comments. Come join us on social media. S-I-M-A-H-F-Pod on Twitter. So I'm a horror fan, all lowercase, all one word on Tumblr and Instagram. Let us know your thoughts on Infinity Pool. I... Are you excited for what Brandon Cronenberg is going to do next? Um, let's just have a bit of a discussion about it. And then obviously let's um, let's get some of those theories out there about what people think the movie's really trying to say. Uh, we will be back, me and Lee will be back together on Monday, so the 3rd of April. Uh, we will be looking at Bride of Chucky for the film's 25th anniversary as we kick off Lee's birthday month. Um, so yeah, we'll be back on Monday for that. And then next Friday, the 7th, we will be back as well looking at our 5x5 for our top five scariest moments in family films. So that's two big episodes next week. So look out for both of those. Once again, guys, thank you for the continued support. Um, and we will see you soon. Stay spooky. Stay safe. Take care. Bye bye.